Warning. This podcast does not contain actual virgins. Discretion is advised. The Movie Virgins. Hey people, we apologize for the not-so-awesome audio in this episode. Um, We're still figuring out how to record remotely and how to do it well. So, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. The Movie Virgins. I'm Leah Bross. And I'm Lindsay Schaefer. And this is Movie Virgins, a weekly discussion of our first times with movies. Each week, one of us is re-watching the film, and the other is seeing it for the first time. And this week, we are talking about one of my favorites, the 1984 Academy Award winning Terms of Endearment. Fucking, fucking, fuck, fuck, fuck. (laughs) It's, uh, it is, first of all, it's just in general a great movie, and I'm sure Leah's going to agree with me on this. Um, I hope, but in addition to it being really heartfelt and funny, man, it's, it can be hard to watch at times too. There are definitely some hard things, um, in, in terms of, in terms of, in terms of my <laughs> no. first time with the movie, I honestly cannot tell you when I first saw it because I was very, very young. Um, I'm sure it was on television. Well, I'm not a hundred percent sure it's entirely possible that, my mom might have rented it or something, but I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure it was on television. I'm pretty sure most of the times that I saw it, it was on TV. Um, but what I what I remember most about it was just the the genuine feel of it. Um, of this, it, it's it's a rather different mother daughter relationship. You know, it's very tenuous at times. Um, I love the fact that it's not as much love as there is in the movie it's not schlocky um i have a little bit and even as a small child when i first saw this had a little bit of a problem with like that kind of over saccharine sweet you know lubby dubby kind of stuff um and that's not what you get from really any of the relationships in here uh, almost to a, a point of detriment you know i mean i think some of these people could maybe use a little bit more love maybe <laughs> but even as a kid when when i was first watching this i kind of picked up on that and noticed that um that these relationships were more they felt more real to me than a lot of other movies and a lot of other movies in the 80s too because i think the 80s had a lot of had a fair amount of schlock um but the main thing that stuck out to me me kind of more than anything it was the death scene and mm-hmm. I mean we can kind of talk about that a little bit more detail later but it's one that has stuck with me throughout the last 30 years um, I would say it's probably one of if not my favorite I hate saying a favorite death scene that sounds terrible but I think it's one of the best representations of 
of death um, in a movie. Um, and I, I honestly, I can't say that I'm a huge Shirley MacLaine fan. This is what? probably what? this is probably the only movie that I really, really like her in. But I also feel like I'm not saying she's bad by any means. She can just be a lot. But Steel Magnolias. Fuck, I love Steel Magnolias so much. Um, I never think I don't think about that as being a Shirley MacLaine movie though, because she's kind of in the she's great, but she's kind of in the background almost. She steals the fucking movie, dude. She, well, yeah, in a lot of ways. In but every it's scene not, she's not, in, it's like, who do I care about? I care about Weezer. I don't know that I care about her. I just love the fact that she's there. But it's not a, about her. Like, as a lead, I feel like yeah. she can be a lot. That That's all that I mean. Again, I'm not saying that she's in any way bad. It's just she can just be a lot. Um, but I, I'm okay with that in this movie. Like, I'm okay with everything that she's throwing at us. Um, in my mind, this is like the... And I do love Weezer. I do. But this is kind of the absolute ultimate Shirley MacLaine. Um, and so many other great people too. And Deborah Winger, you know, I, officer and a gentleman, never cared about, couldn't care less. Um, I can't say that I've watched a ton of her movies over the years either. But being introduced to Terms of Endearment at such a young age, she's always just kind of been Emma to me. She's always mm-hmm. been this character. And I just think she's so, I remember then thinking she's so great. And then rewatching it last night, I, I feel feel a sort of affinity for her character um, that I don't recall feeling before. And I think maybe that's in part because it's I'm sure it's been years, definitely years since I've seen this. And I would say many more years since I sat down and actually watched it in its entirety. And I don't, I'm sure I've seen it as an adult, but I don't know that I've seen it as a real adult. Like, uh, I don't know that I've seen it in my 30s, you Uh know, since I've actually grown up and gotten a big person job and moved out on my own and been like a real I still don't know that I'm a real adult person but is anyone seemingly yeah exactly seemingly a real adult um and I feel like I got things from it that I never got before watching it certainly watching it as a kid and then also you know throughout the years seeing it as a a teenager or an early 20 somethings and some of the things that I got um that I never didn't necessarily pick up on or hone in on before um, had a lot to do with with Emma, with Deborah Winger's character, and just kind of how I hesitate to say real because you know anybody could be a real kind of person, but I feel mm-hmm. I feel more of an affinity for her. I feel like she she has a lot of um, drama and angst in inside of her, but she deals well with it. Um, she definitely has a good sense of humor and and I think uses that well um she it's not even just that she puts up with a lot I think it could have been really easy to have a character like that appear very sad and miserable and downtrodden Mm -hmm. and woe is me and she a hundred percent wasn't you know Mm -hmm. like she had a little bit of a shitty mom but she even says at one point you know we fought I never really thought that we were fighting that's just how we are Mm -hmm. she has a husband who is not so great and he regardless of who had an affair first he was obviously um not entirely invested in their relationship and in their family at least as as time went on but she still got out of him what she could and what she wanted and 
accepted whether she should have accepted him for who he was or not is maybe a different argument but she did she she accepted him as he was and she didn't she never seemed it never seemed as though she thought i will stay with him because i am not worthy of anyone else or i will stay with him just because it's easy or anything like that it was always i'll stay with him because yeah i still i still love this part of him and uh you know it wasn't it wasn't that she was afraid that she couldn't make it on her own without him. And it wasn't that she just thought she couldn't do better or anything like that. It was more, I I love this guy and he's got some real problems and I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but like, yeah, it's all right. You know, we'll, we'll work it out. It kind of that easygoing, the way she is with her kids too. Um, she loves them, but she's not just uh, hyper uh, in their, in their, faces all the time the actual the the other scene that i've always kind of hearkened back to over the years is the opening scene where shirley mclean walks yes. into the room and she's like she's not breathing she's not breathing and she goes over and pinches her to make sure that she's alive and then just walks away <laughs> so i think the reason why i love deborah winger's character so much is because she's who i want to be um, a little bit more easygoing and a little bit more just kind of trusting and and not so caught up in my own head and my own world and my own fears. And I think who I really am is much more of the Shirley MacLaine mm-hmm. character because I've I've literally done that before in the middle of the night. If I wake up in the middle of the night and I don't hear the dog snoring, I'll like kick him and wake him up <laughs> just to make sure he's alive. Doesn't give a shit. Right. And I 100%, I don't have children, I don't know that I ever will, but I 100% knew when I first saw this movie as a small cat, as a small kid, that that's the kind of mother I would be. Mm. <laughs> the kind that would get in the room in the middle of the night and like crawl inside the crib just to make sure the kid was breathing, wake him up just to make sure they were alive. Um, I don't like that about me, but I'm definitely a, a paranoid person who would do that. But some of the other things that Shirley MacLaine character does as well uh, very me the the just kind of spiraling and overthinking everything you know like can I actually go out with this man and can I actually <laughs> sleep with him and can, you know is all of this uh, how is all of this going to work and then not only spiraling about it but pushing back on everything pushing all of these men away because mm-hmm. maybe they're you know th- if something does happen maybe it's not going to go the right way maybe it's not going to work out exactly as I want the control thing she's a control freak yeah and uh I 100% get that. And then, I and again, I think that's one of the reasons why watching it last night as an adult, who is now, I'm much more aware, I think, than I used to be of my control issues and how they are not necessarily healthy. Um, I was able to see that the way that they're not healthy in mm-hmm. the way that her character plays them out. And then in watching Deborah Winger's character realized, oh yeah, that's much more who I'd like to be. Mm-hmm. I would much prefer to be somebody like her. Um, and I feel like in the past, I I just kind of saw her as the daughter and the mm-hmm. wife and the mother. And I never really thought too much about her as a person. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm really glad that I I thought that I would still enjoy it regardless, the, the movie, but I am definitely glad that I had a different experience kind of as, as an adult as well, um, that I got something else from it last night and something new and something different. And there were a lot of other little things that I noticed that I'd never quite picked up on as a kid or as a teenager, a lot of the kind of nuances with some of the relationships. Um, 
which we we can kind of get into later when we start talking about the movie in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I guess my thoughts overall, you know, like I said, I this is it's strange. I like I said, I don't really remember the first time that I saw this movie. I feel like it's one of those that's kind of been part of my life for so long um, that I've referenced in the past with people, you know, because I saw it the first time when I was such a young kid and have seen it kind of in bits and pieces at least so many times since then. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's hard for me to compare the first time I saw it to last night, other than, uh, again, a lot of those things that I picked up on as an adult now that I that I never fully thought through before. Um, the other thing that I had no idea about, or if I did have an idea, it just didn't click. Larry McMurtry wrote this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I feel like I've known this movie my whole life. Like, it's been part of my life <laughs> for the last 30 plus years. And I had no idea. No idea that Lonesome Dove is <laughs> in the same spear. As but Jensen. now you understand why Lonesome Dove makes you feel all those feelings. You know, it's funny because I really do love Lonesome Dove too. And it does make me feel the feels. So, so yeah, maybe. So the only thing I remember about Lonesome Dove was like the mini series with uh, Ricky Nelson. Is it Ricky? Not Ricky Nelson. What's, Ricky Nelson. what's the kid's name? From um, Silver Spoons. From and- Silver Spoons. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. What's his name? I didn't think we were going to talk about Lonesome Dove, Lindsay. I wasn't ready. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, Ricky, Ricky. Yeah, fuck. What is his name? He's, you know, he's from Silver Spoons. Lonesome um, Dove. Oh, which Lonesome Dove? Which Lonesome Dove? They yeah. made they made a new one. I say new, but it was probably a good maybe 10 years or so ago. Schroeder. It's Ricky Schroeder. Ricky Schroeder, okay. yes. Okay, or Rick Schroeder, I'm sure, as he goes by now. Um, yeah, he's and like the only thing I really remember from that miniseries, which I remember really enjoying, was when they were taking the horses across the river and the water moccasins attacked. Because, let me tell you, that's not something water moccasins are going to do, no. but okay. It's completely <laughs> over. I, I remember being in a lake or a river. I think it was a lake. I think we were at somebody's lake house when I was a little kid. And uh, I was just like swimming around in the lake. And then one of my dad's friends, all of a sudden he was on the dock, you know, drinking beers as all the adults were doing. And he just kind of looks at me and he goes, hey, come here, come here, get out of the water, come here. (laughs) And I came over to the dock and climbed out of the water. I was probably like five or six or something. (laughs) And he he turns me around, he points back out to the water. He goes, there's a water moccasin swimming around your neck. (laughs) And I was like, why would you could have come to rescue me? You're just like really calm, like hey, hey, kid, come here. It's ridiculous. So yeah, and I've seen um, I, I haven't seen in person, but I I know that rattlesnake nests like in the sides of riverbeds and stuff. I've seen that, but like no, there's no fucking chance. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a scientist, but that you would be bringing your horses across a river and, and then be attacked by what? But that visual, I'll never get that out of my head of like the kid just like covered in snakes, like just like. So creepy. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess if you're in a nest, maybe I don't. Uh, I mean, Hollywood like plays to me. Hollywood plays fast and loose with nature all the time. They do. Like, how many times have we seen you know TV shows where tornadoes are coming and it's like people mm-hmm. are preparing days in advance instead of yeah. the thirty second warning you actually get. That you actually get. Yeah. Right. Or all the movies where wolves attack when in reality wolves have killed a total of like maybe ninety people over the last hundred and fifty years at most. 
It's all it's all the things we're supposed to be afraid of that they want to prey on us about. Ridiculous. So, but anyway, uh, yeah. yeah, Lonesome Dove, Comanche Moon was the newer one. I don't and, know that. Is that like oh, part of the Lonesome uh, Dove? Is it like yeah, a continuation? Yeah. Uh, I think it's actually the prequel. Okay. Um, and it was a miniseries. It must have been like maybe 10 years ago. But I had to watch it because of Carl Urban. Because Carl <laughs> Urban. But here's the best part. The best part is they happen to be filming near where Val Kilmer has his home. So oh. he was just like... Yeah, man, I'll stop by and like play a role. And he uh, was just, he's just, you know, fat Val Kilmer just coming to hang out for the day. Oh, so mm-hmm. great. Anyway, yeah. So Larry McMurtry, I had no, I had no idea. Um, also, I don't know if you're aware of this since since you hadn't seen this movie, but there is a sequel to this called The Evening I Star. Yeah, I was aware of the sequel, and I didn't know if we were going to talk about it. I didn't really look into it too much. I haven't, I haven't seen it. You obviously. don't, and you don't have to. I heard it that. is. I was so excited when that came out because this had been one of my favorite movies and I will never forget. Like I was so fucking excited and I went to go see it in the theater and we're probably 20 minutes in when I just felt the swell of disappointment. It was so fucking bad. It was so bad. Um, So please do not, whatever you may or may not have thought of this movie, which hopefully I, hopefully you enjoyed it or at least thought it was good. Even if you didn't enjoy it, don't see the evening star because it'll just fuck it all up. Um, But with that being said, Leah, what'd you think? So I didn't want to watch this movie. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell me why you had never seen it? Because honestly, this is considered by a lot of people to be certainly not the best movie ever. But I mean, a a really, really good movie. I didn't realize how many Oscars it had won. I didn't realize that it was James L. Brooks. And I have never seen broadcast news. And I am ashamed of myself for not having seen it. But Spanglish is one of my favorite movies. Like, I can't believe I've never seen broadcast news. Yeah, that's great. I haven't yeah. seen broadcast news. We should put it on the list. But um, Spanglish, I adore. And um, just try it on. Just try it on. So, uh, you know, I, I think my mom might have talked about it a few times. And what did it came out? And, like, it was released in 1983. So, mm-hmm. and I think my mom probably had mentioned it to me a few times or said something to me. And I know that. She thought Shirley MacLaine was amazing and she really liked Steel Magnolias. And I just, I knew that it was going to make me cry. And I like to avoid that. I'm okay about crying when it's like romantic shit. Like, but I'm it gonna... only really makes you cry at the end. You know what so, I mean? Like, there's another full two hours of right, sure. good stuff. It, it's just, it is. And I, I can't deny that it is a very good movie. So the things that you were talking about that you thought about this time around, I was thinking about that last night. It's such a very, like, everybody feels very real. And um, except for maybe Sam, John Lithgow's character was weird. He's just uh, kind of thrown together a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, Lithgow, I don't know. John Lithgow's a really interesting actor. <laughs> and he's just, like, this mild-mannered guy who's like, thank you for making me feel this way again. And I'm not saying I don't know men who would say stuff like that, because I do. But it was really amusing to me. I also like how think the about- bigger issue isn't. I think what I love about that is not even that you don't know men like that. I know men like that. I would never be attracted <laughs> to a man like that. I think that's the funniest part for me is like, I know what drew her to him. <laughs> he, um, well, he was very nice to her. He was yeah, so. I mean, he was there. I know, and he was always so happy to see her. Look, we got here at the same time. <laughs> uh, yeah, he. Um, I like the way that he talked about farmers in Iowa. About how, because I, 
like I fucking know those people where it's like we don't talk about what we have you know it's it, it was just really interesting I, I enjoyed that um but everybody felt really real and human and the con- so many difficult conversations happen in this movie conversations about relationships mm-hmm. conversations about children conversations about death and dying and illness and I felt like a lot of these like tearjerker type films movies when people have these conversations they always say exactly what they you know um it's the perfect thing right Mm -hmm. like think about jerry Maguire and that like climax where he comes home and he's like i'm here to see my wife and like it's tom cruise full on i love it i love everything about it and i do think that there are some really real moments in that movie but the the dialogue you know help me help you uh you're my ambassador of Kwan. like cuba goodick jr just like coming and, and bringing it and bringing it and bringing it and and the end of the movie he says all the per- he actually says too many perfect things i feel like yeah, yeah that's exactly that, right. that kind of di- that that monologue goes on for a while and i'm like okay and then she says you had me at hello and i'm like okay well it's a setup i get it okay yeah um there are so many things in in terms of endearment that are also just kind of um not are not only are they real, but they are the kinds of things that when we real people do, I think mm-hmm. might regret or be embarrassed about it, yeah. little things, little things like like when she's talking to Sam in the parking lot and she's telling Tommy to get in the car and he won't uh, listen. Yes. She repeats herself and repeats herself and then she just screams <laughs> at him. And I do love the fact that she doesn't seem to regret it, but she's just that kind of mom who's like. I'm fucking telling you and you're not listening to me and you're making me crazy. Get away. So that's but, so that's so realistic. Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. Like, think about all of the most awful fights that you ever had in your life. They're with people you really love. Yep. And yeah. and you and and the, so like you see the contentiousness of her relationship with her mother and that's they love each other so much and you really see it when she's moving away to Iowa. And uh, she says the thing, you've said this to me before, too, that that moment really stuck with you where she says, this is the first time that, you know, you hugged me longer than I hugged you or whatever. Um, That and then, so how much they love each other, they talk to each other all the time, but they're always at each other's throats. And it's the same with her and Tommy. Like, and oh, God, every single time in this movie where something is happening between fucking flap which is what flap horton are you fucking kidding me with that name yeah how did you not know that that larry mccurry wrote that flap horton (laughs) so so flap horton so every time she and flap are having these moments or even i think with you know her and her mom they take they cut away so you can see tommy's face Mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking but it's also like tommy's this really sensitive boy and he's like paying attention to what's going on around him and he doesn't know how to deal with it and he's very like I feel like he's a lot like his dad in that way because his mom she just says what's going on and like from the beginning you see her see her as this kind of effervescent like doesn't see or care about other people's personal space like she's smoking that joint with Patsy the night before a wedding and she just kisses her on the mouth she's like picking little pieces of fucking tobacco out of her outside out of her friend's mouth um she's in bed with Flap the next day, squeezing his zit on his back, and then, like, putting her mouth in that same, like, kissing him. Like, she just doesn't... Her mother is... that kind of person, right? But her mother isn't like that at all. No. No. (laughs) And it's almost like it skipped a generation, because then you get Tommy, and he's this really sensitive kid, but he can't talk about his feelings. He is a boy, too, so I I see that. But um, I think... I I love, though, the the mere fact that... 
first of all, I just I I, I love everything about the death portion, like it, it, scenes, the conversation. General. So she the has her moment. With, yeah. She has a very short moment with Patsy. She has a longer moment with Flap. Then mm. with the two boys, which I gotta tell you, the scene with the two boys. First of all, let me just let me just my one big beef with this movie is it's a, it's a story about a life. It's a story about someone's life. Um. And then how it's intertwined with her mother and the other people in it. Um, and I would say that Deborah Winger, I mean, I know that they were both nominated for Best Actress that year. And I think McLean won it. Yes, yeah. she won it. Yeah. Um, and I I feel like it's the story of Deborah Winger's character. It's, just, it's Emma's life story. Um, mm-hmm. I hate that it, it suddenly became a, a movie about cancer and it didn't have to be about cancer she could have been sick with anything but i, I don't think I it hate, really was a movie I, about cancer it's just, just like just that's like what that about, her. Uh, i don't know i like i i just didn't like that like that it i, I don't know i, I mean, for some reason i i'm like we're going along we're going along we're going along we're going along and you pick up it this is just the story of somebody's life it's like watching the godfather it's just like everything's sure. in chronological order you but know that's just how her life ended that doesn't make it about cancer she even says that she even says like patsy you can tell people i have cancer i I don't give a shit don't make it such a big dramatic thing i know know, but that's the thing though i guess because because i'm i'm really sensitive about that subject i guess maybe and maybe i'm not in the right headspace to to because that's the other thing the other reason why i didn't want to watch this fucking movie was because a i knew it was gonna make me cry b i knew it was gonna make me think about death and dying and cancer and i just was like we're in the middle of a fucking pandemic that's the last thing i should be thinking about right now so anyway uh but that scene with the boys i was just and that you get emma at the end of that conversation with her boys where she's just and she says all that stuff she says to tommy about you know one day you know she's like i know you like me and i like you a lot and i actually really love you and i know that you love me and one day you're gonna think about this and you're gonna maybe have regret or feel bad that you didn't tell me that but she's like don't feel bad and I'm like that is such a mom thing to say and that is exactly I don't know that every mom who is sick or dying gets a chance to tell their kids the right thing but I think a lot of cases in a lot of cases and I could be wrong about this you know you don't you don't know what to say and she obviously thought long and hard about what needed to be said to those kids and it's just really hard to watch. And at the end of it all, what does she say? She goes, well, I think this went really well. I love that. That's, that's one of my favorite moments. Just, uh, yeah, when Teddy, Teddy with the tears coming down his eyes. Because he, that kid, he knows, he knows. And he, and she's just like, you know, I was really worried about this. I was really scared. But I, I think it went well. What do you think? You think it went well? And he just kind of nods too. That's one of my favorite moments. Because but he is talking like about, that. yeah. Yeah. And, and Tommy, I think, again, you know, talking about the the real aspect of this movie, I think it would have been so easy for people to for the writers to go the way of, um, you know, like a this is us mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of moment um, and and have Where him start perfect. And everybody says the right thing. Right. Exactly. And when she says that to have him start crying and going, but mom, I do love you. Like it could have been such a. Yep cheap moment and instead it you see you see that this kid is taking it all in and gets it but then how does he respond as they're leaving the hospital that day he's still he just 
he says something nasty about her because it's the only way that he can deal with it. Um, yeah, I think that's awful and 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 great and perfect. And the other thing, I just wanted to to throw this out there really fast, just because I don't remember picking up on it as much the first time around in terms of one of those realistic but kind of bothersome things. The way, and I think one of the reasons why I picked up on it now is because I feel like maybe in our friend group we're we're doing this a little bit too. Oh the way that everyone is just obsessed with Melanie, oh. like here are these two <laughs> older boys who are great. Like they're, mm-hmm. I mean, Tommy's kind of a dick, but you know, like, mm-hmm. Teddy's great. There are these two older boys, and they're part of the family. And then, but everybody is just obsessed Love with this Melanie. little girl. The fact that one of her, that her friend Patsy, like just wants to raise the little girl that she's like oh I don't care if we break up siblings whatever just let me raise that little that's girl that's Patsy. just so and, and I feel Patsy. like it's Patsy I know but it's it's funny to me that in our friend group we have a friend who has a son and a daughter and I love them both equally yes. but it feels like we are always talking about the little girl because mm-hmm. we're just obsessed with like she's the cute one and she's so sweet and she's this and she's that and I get it in terms of the movie terms of endearment like it 100% makes sense too because overall it's about this mother-daughter relationship um but it just it it really amuses me because it is one of those things that it's it's pretty real that you know a lot of times in friend groups or in family too Mm -hmm. you do have you love all the kids the same but you obsessed over like one of them your favorite almost yeah Yeah. it's it's funny uh you mentioned the friend with the daughter. So I think part of the reason why we are a little bit obsessed with her is because we did go on a girl's trip with the baby that's when she was well, like I mean, I six think, months. Yeah. And it's because she's a girl. Yes. Like and, that's what it is. Yes. And on that trip, I ended up sleeping in the same bed as the six month old and her mom. And she, the baby was between us. Like, like it would be like, she was in her like pack and play, but then it was like, she wouldn't sleep. So mom puts her in the bed with us. And I definitely had that moment of like, multiple times in the night like is she breathing I didn't pinch her but I definitely like leaned <laughs> in is yeah. she breathing yes yeah, she is breathing okay I can go back to sleep now so we're both um, Aurora <laughs> I was so scared I was gonna roll over on her and like smother her like I was just so worried but I want to point out the fact that uh one of the main reasons why I escaped the fate of having to sleep in the same room as the baby <laughs> is because within the first hour of the trip the baby shat orange nastiness <laughs> all over me and I spent the next few hours of us driving with a wet sweater sleeve because I had to go into our friend's house and just use hand soap to clean myself that was hilarious but we still love her we we do it was really cute that's some of the best pictures ever were taken on that trip it's so. true and if if Kristen were to die, I don't know. I, I assume that the children would actually stay with their father in this day I think so. and age. I think that would happen. But like, if for some reason, he yeah, and they're... all of the multitude of family that they have <laughs> didn't want them, maybe we would have to fight over who would get the kids. No, I, I think I know where those kids would be and they'd be with their dad. He's yeah. no flat. No, he would definitely take them for He's sure. I, and that honestly, always as a kid, that really bothered me. The, the Dad gave him up? The fact that, yeah. And he even says that. He even says... I never thought I'd be the kind of dad who would give up my kids. And as a kid, it bothered me. And honestly, last night, too. Last night, I think I understood it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still really, it really bothers me Yeah, that he just lets them go. The other part of that, that death part, the end of the movie, that I, after she dies, so it's Flap and Emma's in the bed and Flap and then um, 
Aurora and they're all, all in this room together and Flap is asleep, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Aurora sees Which her. Is so perfect because just like always, he's there, but he's not really there. But he's not really there. And Aurora sees her in this moment right before she goes, which, I mean, did she hallucinate that or just dream it? I don't know. No. I and think then, it's just, that's why it's always been my favorite death scene, because it's just so quiet mm-hmm. and simple. It's just, yeah. we share a look, and then she's gone. And then she's gone, which, um, I'm sorry, but I don't think it actually happens like that, but okay. Well, I got the feeling it could have, it might have played out over several minutes you know like it wasn't just that simple but i think that that idea of there's no no nothing's being spoken nobody's jumping up and freaking out you know it's just Mm -hmm. a look and then gone then she's gone and then aurora says to flap i'm such an idiot because i Mm -hmm. thought i would feel relieved and i'm not and she's what does she say this is the most awful thing ever the most awful feeling ever the worst thing ever, the worst something, thing you can do, or something like There is nothing more real or perfect to be said in that moment. Like, mm. she's just speaking the truth. Like, I thought I would be relieved, and I'm not, and this is fucking awful. Like, and I think it, it also is uh, losing a child. I think that yes. was what she meant with, with that, is, that yes. particular line of, you know, it's the hardest thing. I think that was it, something like that. It's the hardest thing in the world. And one of my other... I fucking hate saying I have favorite death scenes. Makes me sound so morbid. But <laughs> one of my other favorites is Steel Magnolias. Yes. Um, which, of course, the entire movie is, uh, I think, far more um, dramatic yeah, than, than this one. But there's still something really beautiful about her saying, uh, uh, Sally Field saying that I was there the moment this beautiful creature came into the world. And and feeling so lucky and, and saying, you know, that I got I'm so lucky that I got to be there the moment she left too. Um, so two mothers losing their children, mm-hmm. you know, it's and calling out the fucking men, calling yeah. out the men for not being tough enough. She's like, exactly. these men are supposed to be so tough and made of steel and they left. Yep. Yeah. Which is actually a re- I do think in our culture, especially, it is a thing where you don't men aren't supposed to cry. They're supposed to be rock solid and all this other bullshit. Um, and I do think that, and I can I speak from experience on this, withholding that, like not allowing yourself to feel emotions just does make you, I think, more emotionally vulnerable and more. I mean, I. It's hard. It's hard to be a human. It's hard to feel feelings, but you gotta mm-hmm. let yourself feel them. So, there. That's my life lesson for the day <laughs> thanks so i i when i finished watching this movie i was like fuck this movie and this Ouch. purple life bullshit but fuck. what did what did you think about it before we got to the death stuff like up until that did i enjoy it. honestly I, I feel like it's a really funny movie it's too funny. It, is. it is it was very comedic everything first of all when danny devito showed up i was like oh fucking danny devito the I looks he so gives her He's oh, he's the best. Vernon, um, I loved him, and I mean Jack Nicholson. I just can't stop. He's so disgusting and sexy, and I don't understand <laughs> it. When he he is falling out of the car, he's drunk, and he's like leaning into the car, talking to Doris. His face cut open. He's obviously wasted. She describes him, his jacket being unbuttoned, so his belly is too fat, and he's just, like, such a lurker and a creeper, and he's still coming in hot. Like, he's still, like, just 
doing his thing and I loved every second of it and I got <laughs> this every like the other thing that his, what would you have done what would you have done if he as your neighbor was like yeah do you want to have lunch sometime and then called you back over and was been and, it, and was like you know what let's just skip aside you know get over this lunch thing we all we both <laughs> know what this is going to lead to do you want to just you know, just head out would you ha- it, I would have totally stormed me, off just like her I would have been no, like, if it were me yeah, we would have fucked yourself. if it were me we would have fucked like then <laughs> <laughs> Okay, because I know that about myself now. We would have fucked. Also, it's not lunch, Lindsay. It's lunch. Mm. The way that Nicholson says it. He puts the emphasis on the ch. Lunch. (laughs) He says That alone. That alone should tell you. You do not trust this man. (laughs) So... So that that was another interesting thing to the relationship between the two of them and this great great climactic moment between them when he is... So first of all, he shows up in Nebraska, which is like... What the actual f? I am love and even more in love with this asshole now, and he's he's supporting, and I'm just like, oh god. And then she takes him to the airport, and drops him off, and tells him, and says the thing, and it's so great, it's so real. It's like, you know, I'll call you. Oh wait, I don't want to hear that tone in your voice. If there's somebody there, and she's like, never mind, fuck it, I love you. And they walk off, and then she turns right back around and comes back, and she's like what exactly did you not respond to me saying that? And he's like, I almost had a clean getaway. And I'm just like, yes, it's But so I love cool. how she asked him too. She's she's not like, hey, wait a minute. You're supposed to say something back. Instead, she was like, I'm just curious. Uh, <laughs> what uh, was your reaction? <laughs> and that, so that realism, the realism there is that this is a woman who has all of these barriers and all of these walls up and her daughter sees it and makes fun of her for it, right? Like hasn't had sex in 15 years, blah, 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 blah. And she's, the walls came down with him a little bit. And now she's in this space of like, my daughter is dying and I, everything else doesn't matter. Everything else doesn't matter. I'm just going to be honest with you because this is real life and I'm just going to be real with you. And she is, and she's so honest. She, and then she's kind of, and I love his response too. What does he say? I'm going to give you my stock response. Love you too, kid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I also love at the very end at the the funeral scene, you know, and they're all just kind of like hanging out together and he's talking to Melanie and like walking her around and playing and being nice with her and stuff. And Patsy sits down next to Aurora and Aurora is like, man, he does have a way with girls, but she's too old for him. <laughs> like, even though they're in this, like, it's a weird relationship, like, a lot like, a lot like Emma and Flap too, mm-hmm. in that, man, neither of them are quite right like neither of them are perfect and maybe they're not perfect for each other either but there's something there and they're willing to forgive a lot of the other um not not so great things Mm -hmm. (laughs) about the other person i adored the lunch scene where they she does drink and then they end up in his car and out on the beach that whole so good but also the leading up to it so I knew going in, because I did check on IMDb to see, like, writers, directors, all that kind of stuff, and I saw that it was James L. Brooks, who also did Spanglish, and there's a great convertible scene in Spanglish, too, with Taya Leone and Thomas Hayden Church, where she's in the convertible, and her hair's flying all over everywhere, and she's like, I just wish I was, like, one of those women mm-hmm. whose hair just flew perfectly, and he just does some magic with the windows up and down, and suddenly it's And all perfect. of a sudden it's back, yeah. <laughs> and this is kind of, like, I was like, I've seen this before, because it's kind of the opposite. In this case, though, she's got an attitude about how, you know, real women know how to deal with things, you know, as they, you know, things that come up, and then 
her hair is a disaster and her scarf flies away and and then they end up and luckily it was just a hair piece and she could just throw it in her purse but then they end up drunk and out by the water and that whole i mean and then he kisses her and then he sticks his hand down her shirt it's so perfect she just like freaks out this is why i'm telling you i am her (laughs) like there might be a moment of carefree and then all of a sudden something will snap and it'll be like whoa wait wait no no (laughs) and then then they finally consummate their relationship and he he shows up and she's like it's huh shows him her renoir yeah, well, like, he's so gross and sweaty and just yeah. not like even breathing trying. heavily. Yeah, like, even in Hoenn, and she's, like, beautiful and shit and, like, trying really hard. And it's, like, the perfect kind of uh, showing the, the what it looks like with a man versus what it looks like with a woman. And, and then what does she say to him? She's like... Don't you know I'm a grandmother or something like that? Like it just grabs him. Yeah, yeah. Because he said something. What did he say? It was something like, "Don't worry, kid, I got you" or something like that. She was like, "Don't, don't talk to me like that." What <laughs> are these children? And then, then just getting into the bed together. I just everything about it was two incredible talented, incredibly talented actors just giving us the best shit ever. It was so good. And that that after watching the entire movie and feeling all the feelings at the end of it, that was the part of the movie that I really, really, really want to watch again. Like, and want to keep watching. Um, like I loved Deborah Winger in this movie. And I don't know. I don't think I've seen anything else that Winger has been in except for like, forget Paris with Billy Crystal. Like, I don't really I know forgot, her. Uh, Rachel getting married. I, I rewatched that. I rewatched it. I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, and completely forgot that she was the like terrible absentee mom. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's I haven't found. I haven't seen a ton of stuff with her either. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Officer and a Gentleman. I was very meh about. Um, and Shirley MacLaine. I mean, I've seen her in this and Steel Magnolias, and I don't know that I've seen a whole lot else with her. Um. That I can think of off the top of my head. Lithgow, uh, DeVito, I adore. Jack yeah, Nicholson. John Lithgow, the, the more I see of Jack Nicholson, the more I want to see. <laughs> I'm, he's creeping up the list of like my favorite actors of all time, maybe. I, mean, I, I was reading some of the trivia about this movie and some of the stories that he's told people about like back in the 70s and 80s when he was just on a tear and how he, he was like, apparently he told somebody to put like cocaine on his dick to make it like, like for sensitivity and something i don't know like mm-hmm. uh, yeah, how that worked i don't know he seems like a he seems like an alien he seems like he I doesn't want to in it uh and then i was reading about deborah winger apparently farted this rumor she farted in shirley mcclain's face yeah. what the yeah. fuck man oh, no. we should yeah. hang out apparently she's really hard to work with <laughs> and uh <laughs> huh. well so I I have questions for you. Oh, okay. Um, let me see what I got here. Uh, yeah, all of your your multitude of notes that you took. <laughs> there was there was like one moment in this movie where I thought about making a note, and I didn't. Okay. But I can tell you what it was. What was it? It was during lunch. He offers her oysters, and she <laughs> is like, no. And then he shoves one in his mouth, and he fucking chews it. He keeps chewing it. He mm-hmm. chews it like a fucking serial killer. <laughs> you. <laughs> Nobody's 
chews on oysters. Oh my god, it was so disgusting. I feel like oh. there isn't there isn't a movie that I've seen with Nicholson where he isn't at some point in the movie eating something and talking around the food. Like it's just the thing <laughs> that he does. That was that that's one of my favorite scenes from The Departed when he's sitting there <laughs> eating breakfast and like waving around this hand yeah. yep. <laughs> in front of Leonardo DiCaprio. That's the best. Yeah. So the relationship from the beginning uh, with Aurora and Emma, as I was watching that, I was thinking to myself, the person who was hardest on me in my life and expected the most of me was my mother. I still to this day believe that if she were alive, everything I would do would never be good enough. And I'm not saying everything I did, she made me feel that way, but she wasn't about, she wasn't good at giving compliments or, Mm -hmm. um, Saying she was proud or whatever. Nothing like that. So um, I guess I was curious if there's someone in your life who's like that. Um, Yes. Her name is Lindsay. (laughs) And... I don't, it's funny. I've, I've, I've had discussions with my therapist about this before. Like, like the kinds of like, why are you the way you are? You know, those kinds of conversations. Um, as far as the, the perfectionism and just being really down on myself and nothing's ever good enough. And it's true. Nothing is ever good enough. Like nothing's ever good enough that I do. Um, but I don't, I can, I can think back to childhood and I'm not saying that I had parents who were so achingly supportive, you know, it's not like, they they weren't the kind of parents who would always tell me they were proud of me at every turn of the hat and, you know, everything you do is great and amazing or anything like that, but they've never seemed disappointed in me, except, I mean, when, when they were disappointed in me, <laughs> you know, like when I would do something bad or stupid or something. Um, but yeah, I don't think either of my parents were ever necessarily like that. I think, I think they've always expected a lot out of me, but I never got the impression that, like, if I ever failed at something, um, I'm the one who would make myself feel bad about it. I don't think they ever really did. And in terms of nothing ever being good enough or right enough, I'm the one who puts that in my head, which I think is like Aurora in this movie. I think that's another way that we really are a lot alike. Like she's the one who nothing is, and it's not just, it's not just her daughter who's never good enough. It's, all of these random men in her life, none of whom does she really want to have a relationship with because none of them are good enough. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, I think she knows it about herself too, that, you know, she questions whether, whether she's doing the right thing or um, whether she's good enough for this Jack Nicholson character or whatever it may be, if she's doing things the right way, the wrong way. Um, she has this really tough exterior where mm-hmm. she makes it seem as though she always knows best. But I, I think she's, hard on herself just as much as she is on everyone else too so watching watching Shirley MacLaine I was thinking about Steel Magnolias which made me wonder if you were anyone from Steel Magnolias who would you be out of the four ladies there's Dolly Parton you ask me that you actually would ask me that who do you think I would be I think you're Weezer <laughs> You have a big, I a had, big dog. I had a it's moment, not that yeah. mean. No, he's not mean at all. But I, I had a moment. It was just several months ago where I was taking Elliot for a walk, and we walked out the front door. And I don't remember what it, he like tried to. He was on the leash, of course, but he tried to like take off in front of me. And I just remember grabbing the leash and pulling him back, and like closing the door at the same time, and slamming the door and yelling at him, "Get your ass back here!" <laughs> 
something else that I said, just screaming it at the top of my lungs, really gruffly and like slamming things around. And I had a moment of realization of like, oh, this is the old single woman with her giant dog just screaming in the middle of the street. Like, yeah, I'm fucking loser. Yeah, I was trying to think who I would be. I'm not the Sally Field character. I'd like to think that I'm, God, what's her name? The one who's in this, in, uh, owns the radio station? Who's in the locker room with all the naked dudes? <laughs> That's who you think you are. That's who I want to be. Like a, a high-powered yeah. single lady who's like macking on all those dudes. Yeah. I'm here for it. Um, is Jeff Daniels hot ever? My opinion? No. Mm. I've never no. thought that he's attractive. No. So tell me if this would work on you. Said by anyone who you think is hot. Uh-huh. I love the way you look. You're so nice. You're my sweet ass gal. Right? <laughs> when he said that and she was just like, oh God, I love you so much. All I could think was, are you high right now too? <laughs> Which maybe she was. Who knows? <laughs> I just, but I think um, that comes back to, again, how kind of just chill and easygoing she is like she and and you know it's the same thing as what she says to Tommy later when she's like I know you like me and I know you love me and you don't have to say it and it's so sad it was really sad to me too when she said that and she was like you know you're gonna think about the fact that you never said it and all I could Mm -hmm. think was he's like 11 years old and he's never said it I remember saying I love you to my parents when I was a little kid all the time just because it's just something you do too you know you just say I love you (laughs) to your parents all the time and it made me really sad that he had never said it at all but she would be the kind of, of parent who would never make him say that, you know, who mm-hmm. would just be chill and fine with whatever. And I think that's how she was with Flap, too. Like, I like him. He's cool. We hang out together and everything's fun. And he, I don't know, there's just something about him. And, you know, is he crazy romantic? Uh, maybe not. But uh, he seems good. So we're good. <laughs> there's something about him. <laughs> and he says ridiculous shit like, you're my sweet ass gal. What the fuck? <laughs> um, Wait, so would that... Would that do it for you? No, no. I, okay, all right. I guess it depends on who says it. Like if um, Jason Mansukas said that to me, uh, he would definitely say it in a way that would make me laugh, and yeah. then I would be like, "Yeah, okay, I'm here for it." So I guess it's context. It's all about context. True. Uh, okay. um, do you have a friend who's like Emma, in which in that they have no, they don't see personal space boundaries like the rest of us? Because I do. Who's yours? It's my friend, Beth. Yeah, that's well, what I was saying. She eats off your plate. She's yeah. always laying hands on you. Like, she just doesn't have... I remember I when we were hanging out in college. She'll do it, she'll do it to me, she too. Does, and we, like, hardly know each other. I mean, yeah. I think she's great, but we don't yeah. really know each other that well, and she'll do it, too. And it was... I remember the first time that that she hugged me and, and, and yeah, like, would eat off my plate and, like, whatever, totally... <laughs> It's it's totally fine, but it was definitely like, what's happening? Who, who is this person? <laughs> like, <laughs> she would. She's a friend. Like I think she still will do it sometimes. Like run her hand up your butt crack, like swiping the credit card. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's definitely done that to me a few times. Um, definitely, there was a period in college where we were all grabbing each other's boobs for fun, and I think she started that. So yeah. And I kind of li- I kind of like it like oh <laughs> it's like a fu- like it's like yeah we're that close we grab each other's boobs yeah, yeah. it's no, like I, I first- kinda, 
yeah. the way that yeah when she when she kisses Patsy mm-hmm. like the night before her wedding like on the mouth right and I think in some ways that that's a little bit dated just insofar as I don't think there are many girlfriends who necessarily would even think to do that because we've it, the same thing that it, it happened with uh uh the fox's face uh the patriot um you know cheater football cheater um oh uh tom hardy yeah tom, no, tom, no. Hardy, tom brady tom brady there was stuff Sorry, maybe tom a year brady. or so ago uh where he was kissing his kids on the mouth and people were really upset about it and they were like you can't do that you get young children the like baby i would kiss I'm an adult, and if, I mean, you can't in the days of COVID, but, like, I've kissed my parents on the mouth, and it's totally fine, and I think it was fine in back in the day, and I don't know why it's changed, because it's such, just a natural, normal mm-hmm. thing. It's not like anybody's making out. It's no. just a little peck. And when I watched that last night, I had a, a brief twinge of, like, oh, oh, I don't think that's aged well, and then immediately after, I was like, but it should, because yeah. it, it is nice. It's just that she's that person who... Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't see anything wrong with it. And there's something so great and wonderful about somebody who is so free with their love and free with, mm-hmm. you know, and just wants to, yeah, just wants mm-hmm. to touch people uh, yep. because there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. No. And maybe there's no. something wrong with like swiping up people's butt cracks, but that's different. <laughs> it feels real good. Oh. oh. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, what is a simple abortion? I, I mean, I, I, especially in the seventies, don't know. <laughs> I just that that whole thing where she's like, I may be pregnant again, and then they reveal the belly, and right, then like, she starts talking about having an abortion. Like, I was just like, I could, I, I, I guess I could believe that Aurora would say that, and I hundred percent believe that Aurora probably had an abortion in her day. I don't know that she ever had one i mean i don't know that she would have had occasion to because she hasn't even had sex in 15 years <laughs> i don't know i'm willing to bet that before before that 15 year dry spell and the 15 years were obviously the 15 years after her husband had died you would that think. i'm willing to bet that she was she i don't know she that she would, would have though i think she's she the kind of person who regardless she would just see it as it's a viable option you know yeah right a simple and i do abortion. love yeah simple abortion it's like uh oh fuck what movie is it oh my gosh is it knocked, knocked up knocked up yes it's the, where the she part, says you can up. have an abortion and then you can have a real baby yes one of my favorite favorite lines <laughs> was it like your cousin just had one too or somebody oh, had just had an abortion and now she has a real baby exactly uh, fuck one of those moms all right and then i guess my last question is um like on the cryometer, mm-hmm. as in C R Y O meter, where does this fall for you? So like, I don't. I'm trying to think of a range. Is this at the top of like movies that make you cry the hardest? Are there oh. movies that have made you cry harder than this? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say the only time that I get emotional is during the the, the death moments, if you will. Um, and I still, I don't cry, cry. Like I might tear up a little bit at at, at this movie at Terms of Endearment. I teared up. But I didn't like cry, cry, cry. Um, oh, I did. I would have full on sobbed. I was kind of trying to hold it in, but like the last maybe. So I got misty when they moved to uh, Iowa, and then all of the deathbed conversations, I was just bawling. And then like at the end, I was more just kind of like tearing up. 
And I, I was trying to think of if I've cried harder in a movie. I feel like I've cried. The hardest I ever cried in a movie was Turner and Hooch. I was a kid. Uh, and oh, when yeah. it was over, I just went upstairs and just bawled my eyes out for, like, probably 30 minutes. Um, but, like, Forrest Gump usually makes me cry. Um, just all of this stuff at the end when Mama dies and when Bubba dies. And then when he gets to see Jenny again and then finds out he has a son and then Jenny dies like that's just like cry 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 um but this made me cry really fucking hard I can't I'm having a hard time thinking of another movie that aside from Turner and Hooch that made me cry this hard I'm sure there are other they're out there I just can't think of them right now I I tend to cry more I mean I'm not saying that this didn't hit the good old heartstrings and everything um but as far as actually really crying it, it tends to be more for me about um, something almost deep-seated in me, like a like a, a, a sort of injustice where, you know, nobody can see or nobody's, nobody's fixing this. Like there's this terrible thing that's happening and nobody's doing anything about it. Um, like the Green Mile. The Green Mile makes me cry every time. Um, the, uh, in Monster's Ball, um, the first like 20 minutes, which is just, it's, it's death penalty stuff which I have a real huge problem with. And then it's suicide. And it's it's those kinds of things where it's sad on a human level, but it also hits something deep in me because it feels like, it feels like I want, it, like I want to scream at the people in the movie, like that this isn't right. It, it isn't right. And those are the moments where I tend to kind of break a little mm-hmm. inside. Um, but just the really simple human heartfelt things. I'm not saying that they never make me cry. Um, or tear up at least, but I, I tend to kind of, I tend to kind of watch them with a sort of interest as opposed mm-hmm. to a real deep connection. And then of course, if an animal's ever hurt, then I'm bawling. I mean, that's I because, because I prefer animals to people, I suppose. I don't know. But yeah, I can't handle, I can't handle a... And I think, honestly, there's a part that comes down to that same thing for me, though, too, is the the reason why it hurts so much to watch animals get hurt or die is because they don't, they're like babies, you know, that they can't can't defend themselves and they can't tell you that something hurts in the same way and they can't, and they're they're so misunderstood in that way. And I think that's what really gets me um, more than anything. Mm -hmm. They're in that, um, in Fleabag, there's Mm -hmm. a guinea pig. And anytime the guinea pig is in any kind of danger, I'm like, no. Why? When is, why is the guinea pig in danger? Uh, there's a scene where she's talking to her brother-in-law, who's just a little bit on the fringe of maybe losing his mind, and he's at one point he has the guinea pig out, and I'm like, and she she threatens bodily harm to him if he does anything to the pig, and she he puts the pig back. Um, That's good. But I will say that I did watch. The Fleabag Live that was streaming on Amazon, you could, it was like $5 to watch it, and it was Friday and Saturday, I think, this weekend. They did it, and it was, the, the money was going to go to charity. So it's her one-woman show that they had recorded at a theater, and uh, it was so good. It was so good. Um, it It's a lot of, I mean, it's essentially what they based the television show off of, so I knew what was going on, but there were some surprises um, but she is just Phoebe Waller-Bridge is such a damn talent, and I would like to meet her one day. I would like to be that talented, <laughs> or that so, driven, I guess. 
Does that mean, did you say you would like to be her or meet her? Meet her. It would be cool to meet her and talk to her. But you also want to be that talented. So is your plan for meeting her to like suck all of her talent out? Yeah. Like uh-huh. some kind of weird vampire or something? Yeah. I don't, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Go for it. But yeah. That, but the live show was really impressive. Um, so, and since you want to do the one woman show thing, yeah. that would be good for you to watch. Yeah. But you, no? You said no. No, it's fine. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I still haven't really watched Fleabag. Like, I don't, you know. It's so good. It's on. It's on the list because I, I think that would be a good one. A good one for us to do because it's very like you could watch maybe the first season and we could talk about it. But mm-hmm. all right. Anything else about terms of endearment? Um, no. I I, I think I don't know. I I actually you know I was a little, little hesitant to watch it again because it's been been so long since I've seen it I was a little afraid that knowing it was made in the early 80s that I wasn't going to necessarily like it as much because of course there's a a different sort of we're in a different world now you know Mm -hmm. I mean so many years later and I personally feel like it held up really well it does it holds up hella well I mean yeah the the costumes are old and like who that rig that they took to Iowa Sheesh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The luggage rack yeah. with the twine tying everything down and it's all in cardboard boxes. There's still got... people who do that. They are, but oh, I was like, damn. Actually, mm. I think the, the the funniest part to me uh, in terms of how it aged was when they first get to Iowa and they're fighting. Oh, no, it wasn't when they were fighting. It was when they were fucking. When they went upstairs to fuck. And Tommy goes out to the porch mm. to play and he has like a ball of string. <laughs> Yeah. What, what the fuck are you doing with that ball of string? <laughs> like, so that was interesting. But yeah, I, I feel like just the characters and the dialogue mm-hmm. and everything, I, I was pleasantly surprised at how natural it felt even yeah. now in 2020 as opposed to um, 1983. Yeah, so. I mean, there are some things about it that, aren't you know like uh there were so many things about it though that i've seen in other movies and i wondered if this was the first time that they showed up so like the classic i'm at the grocery store and i can't pay for my groceries do you see Mm -hmm. that in a lot of movies um the 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 convertible scene with the two of them i felt like i'd seen that before but it was because of spanglish um there were some things and moments in it that i felt like man this is probably a classic and people have ripped it off or I think the main number one classic scene in all of this is Shirley MacLaine losing her shit in the hospital. Give my daughter the shot. Give the shot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. Like I, I tried to last night when I was watching it, I tried to watch it within the context of the whole movie and I could, I was able to um, see it as real, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's hard when there's such an iconic scene. Um, It's hard to kind of, pull back and and see it for what it is within the entire film and not necessarily just see it as this typically seen out of context kind of uh, melodramatic moment <laughs> it's just consummate Shirley MacLaine it did it did the beginning where she pinches the baby in the in the crib it made me wonder and I've never seen this movie but everybody knows like no more wire hangers mommy dearest thing uh like it, I was like uh oh is, like is this what it's gonna be um she like, really I think she does a good job of straddling the line of she does overbearing and absent yeah <laughs> so. it's interesting too because I felt like 
in the beginning after you see that you know because uh, the very one of the very first things you see is them leaving getting home after uh, after the Emma's dad has died yeah and you see how much Aurora needs Emma yeah. and how little Emma I mean Emma's okay like she's you know fine and then Aurora shows up and it's like she's their relationship is was kind of always that like mutual friendship thing I don't know and I I I get really grossed out by parents who want to be friends with their kids like it's disgusting to me I feel like as an adult yeah you it has to become more of a a friendship than like a a parent child relationship but I don't know yeah I think I agree with you that's always weirded me out um parents as friends is not okay with me I want my parents to be my parents even as an adult I still I mean, yeah, there's more of a friendship. You know, you talk about different yeah. kinds of things and stuff, but I still see them as my parents. Um, so that's always weird to me out. But there's something about this particular relationship. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that that it was kind of set in place from the get-go, first of all. And secondly, that Aurora, I don't think she ever tries to make Emma her friend. I think she just treats everybody kind of the same way. Like when she's on the phone with uh with melanie you know she hands the phone to melanie and her i love i love what she says to her she's like oh how are you i sent you a blouse (laughs) (laughs) this like two or three year old as though she even knows what the hell blouse means but she's just the way she speaks to kids is the same way she speaks to adults is the same way she speaks Mm -hmm. to everyone and so i i never got the feeling that it was her striving for a mother-daughter friendship so much as her just being this way with everyone and the person who she is closest to by proximity as well as by blood as well as you know just in life is is her daughter and so she becomes that person for her just because she's there Um, and I think Emma really took it in stride because you're right I do think Aurora needs her more than she ever needed her and you see it in a lot of different ways you see Mm -hmm. it in that scene where she crawls into bed with her and you see it the scene where she uh, calls her up when she tells her she thinks she's pregnant and she needs to borrow money and stuff. But the way that Aurora has put together this whole like brunch for herself and mm-hmm. set up, up this whole thing to just sit there and talk to her daughter. Like it's not just that she needs to speak to her. It's that she needs to, she, this is, is it's an event for her. Mm-hmm. Like she's made it into a thing. That's how badly she needs all of this to go. Um, it's not as simple as just a check-in phone call. It's such a complicated relationship. Yeah. The parent-child thing, like, I don't, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around it because I don't have it, and I haven't had it for a long time, but the, to go from having a child who is 100% reliant upon you to then having them, like, leave and not need you anymore, and you realize maybe how much you relied on them or how much you just it, having them around and, like, having someone who needs you that much and then they don't need you anymore and then... It's that they have to, the, the relationship has to change. It is so complicated. Like, I see it a little bit with my family, with my sister and her son. And it's, I don't know. I know with my mom, I was terrible to her. At a certain point in my life, I was just awful. Like, so selfish and said terrible things and did awful things. And um, I'm like, God, I was a shithead. And then I'm like, well, is that how I'm how I was supposed to behave? Like, did I have to break away? And that was part of breaking away. And then I'm like, no, no, I could have broken away and not been a shithead. Yeah, you definitely could have. But I think it's it's still a really common thing. I, I mean, a, a lot of kids who, you know, children don't have the emotional capacity. 
and even as a 17, 18, 19 year old going away to college for the first yeah, time, you you're still, still a kid. You're yeah. still a kid for sure. And you, uh, your brain is not fully developed. You don't have the capacity to necessarily um, behave in a certain way and, and, and think through things in a certain way. And I think that is really common for children, just like Tommy in this movie. You know, it is mm-hmm. really common when they're looking for independence um, to push back and when there's something bothering them to you know maybe they don't have the ability to necessarily articulate it so they just act shitty yeah and it could have been that what was really bothering you was having to go out and live on your own for the first time or being away from your family you might have been really upset about that just like Tommy was really upset about the fact that his mom was dying and couldn't deal with that couldn't um, comes out in other ways exactly either couldn't recognize that that was the case or just couldn't articulate that that's what it was and so yeah you just just act out well on that note (laughs) yeah so anyway uh terms of endearment great movie Uh, i think it holds up really well it did for me at least i really enjoyed watching it again last night which i was really happy about because i wasn't entirely sure if i would still really enjoy it um but i did uh don't bother watching evening star (laughs) it'll ruin it for you if you want to read about it to see what happens to the kids, go right ahead. But uh, or read the book. I never actually read the book, but hopefully the book's decent. Yeah, um, I am probably never going to watch this movie again. But I do think it's worth watching gosh. once. <laughs> I can't. I, I like. I can't. I don't like to feel that way, and it, it's just not for me. Could you watch it until the last twenty minutes and just like? throw the book in the freezer kind of thing, you know, just pretend no, like it No, no, because there are movies I can watch that will have me feeling things, but not that hard. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm a sucker for deep, dark, depressing movies that really make you feel like in order for a movie to really stick out to me, it either has to be something that really touches deep down inside and really makes me feel or something that I don't know, maybe it's just absolutely hysterically funny or, you know, it's going to stand out in that way. Um, So, yeah, I'm a sucker for ones like this. But I still think otherwise, I I still think it's a good movie, a good story, uh, really good acting, great dialogue. um, I agree. It's very funny in so many ways and and real. um, So aside from the fact that, yes, I obviously love really depressing stuff, I still think it's a good movie. All right. Well, thank you very much for introducing it to me. Even though <laughs> I making you cry. <laughs> yeah, felt real good. Loved it. Well, Loved thanks for watching it, it, even though you knew it was gonna make you cry. <sighs> yeah. I'll All pick right. something. The next one, I'll pick something more uplifting. Or I won't make you watch the Green Mile yet. I'll tell you that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. We'll put that one off for a little bit. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see y'all next time. The movie virgins. Hey people, this is Leah. Thank you as always for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, As promised last week, uh, our episode uh, on Titanic will be coming out next week. So uh, we're really excited about that one. We're joined by our very special guest, uh, Mike Sheets. Uh, He is our good friend and he's well, he's really into Leonardo DiCaprio and he had never seen Titanic. What the fucking fuck? So we're super excited about it. Uh, we had a lot of uh, a lot of fun talking to Mike about Titanic, or Titani, as I like to call it. Um, so please tune in next week for that. Um, you know, wherever you're listening, 
please rate us, uh, write us a review, uh, subscribe. We would love it if you would do all of those things. You can find us on Twitter at MovieVirginsPod. So you can engage with us there. And we definitely want to hear from you, whether you loved it or hated it or whatever it. Look us up. Find us. Talk to us. We exist out in the internet. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. As always, thank, like, thank you for listening. Um, and we will uh, see you guys next time. One last thing. The music in this episode was written and performed by Melissa Powers. Virgin's Park, Virgin's Park, Virgin's